0: now, as you guys have been hearing, we're talking a lot about engaging our neighbors. And that means kind of at that point in your life, when you feel like, oh man, I'm spirit and you're growing in that spiritual um, development, you're going to come to this place where you're like, okay, I'm going to take up that challenge. I'm going to try to get to know my eight closest neighbors. And, and maybe you've gotten to that point and you've been praying for them. Maybe you've been caring about them and you're starting to feel that nudge towards sharing. And maybe you're, you're a little bit introverted like me. And so you get that little kind of, I don't really know if I want to do that right now. And so you kind of hold back. I get, that, I, I, I'm just going to let you know, I understand. I get that every time I sit down on a plane. Um, I get into a seat and I'll sit there and I'll tell myself, today I am going to read this book on this plane, this four-hour flight or whatever flight I'm on. I'm going to just just kind of let my, myself zone out. Maybe I'll get my computer out to work. Inevitably, I meet that one person who's the chatty person. You know what I'm talking about? They sit down next to you like, hi! And you're like, oh, You're an extrovert in a small tube. This is not going to work well. And they just want to talk to you and they want to engage you. And so they, we start talking and they find out where, you know, you know, they find out where they're going and then I find out what they're doing. Eventually I ask that question. So what do you do for a living? They tell me and I start prying in their life a little bit, just trying to see where it goes. And then they flip it on me. And I, and I'm, I I hate it when they do that. What do you do for a living? I'm like, This is uncomfortable because right there, if I've had enough conversation, I can tell you where they stand roughly when it comes to meeting a pastor. Um, because oftentimes what will happen is uh, if I say, oh, I'm a pastor, they'll say something like, oh, I'm sorry. Or, you know, something in that, in that zone. Uh, or actually what goes on is I, I had enough times where I say, oh, I'm a pastor. And they instantaneously, they're like, all the conversation's gone. The cussing has ended. They don't order their alcohol. Nothing happens like normal. They stop being themselves. And I'm sort of like, yeah, I'm, I'm the freak in the center, you know, kind of. And I, I hate that. And especially when I, I meet some of those people, and I've had long enough conversations that they start to give me that kind of like, oh, you're one of those people. You're a bigoted, crazy person who, if this plane's going to crash, you're going to stand up and yell at everybody they need Jesus or something. I'm like, true last part, not true first part. Okay. So what I now say is I go, please don't judge me. That's actually how I start my, my conversation. I say, please don't judge me. I'm a pastor. And it's, now it's the funniest thing for me to watch. Because if, if they're not, if they're a Christian, they're like, oh, I'm a Christian too. It's like, I don't want to judge you. That's awesome. Or they say, because uh, 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 now they're realizing, oh, I am judging this person. I'm not supposed to judge this person because I don't like that they judge other people. And I, I don't. So it's been my best entryway into uncomfortable conversations because I find they're oftentimes hostile if I just straight up jump right into it. And maybe that's what's holding you back, is you're holding back from us st- just jumping right into that conversation with that neighbor. You know you need to share, you've built the relationship, you've gotten to know them, it's, a, it's comfortable, and now you're like, ah, I don't know, feel like it's going to ruin something. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is going to give you a warning. He's going to tell you, look, you need to expect and be ready for some kind of rejection. Rejection is going to occur to the church, but we don't stop. We need to keep on sharing the faith and that's what we're going to be talking about today the fact that yes we're going to experience rejection as a church as christians but we need to keep on sharing we need to keep on connecting we need to keep on doing what christ has left us to do here and we find Jesus' encouragement in this here in john chapter 15 so why don't you grab a bible you can open it up there to john 15 we're going to be looking at page 902 in the bibles that are provided under the seats so you just want to pull it up you can join with us in the conversation if you haven't been with us in John, Jesus is on the last night of his life. He is about to enter, he's about to be betrayed by Judas in the garden and be taken to be crucified. In the journey now, they've just finished the last meal he'll have with his disciples. He told them, hey, look, guys, I'm going somewhere. I want you guys to love each other like I loved you. Freaks them out. And he says, don't freak out. Heaven's coming. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. All this good stuff's going to go on. I'm going to send you on my mission. God's going to empower you. And the last week we saw that the way that that is going to occur, and they're going to bear fruit in the mission of Jesus, is by, as Tim showed us very stealthily, that we are to abide in him, abide in his commands, and abide in his love. And so in this reality, we come to a place where we live in Christ, and he dwells in us through his word, and through our connection with him, And so it sounds so amazing, like we're going to have God in us. He's going to bear fruit through us. Our lives are going to be exploding with fruit. If it's not, he's going to lift you up. He's going to get you in a position to bear fruit. And it says, if suddenly Jesus goes, now, before you get way too excited, I need to remind you guys, you're going to experience a problem. Verse 18, he begins. He says, basically, and no short terms, actually, it's this, the church will lose the world's popularity contest. He starts off, "'If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you.'" Remember the word that I said to you, "'A servant is not greater than his master.'" Well, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And so Jesus begins. He says, guys, yes, the church is not going to win any popularity awards amongst the culture. If you really want to understand, you're going to bear a lot of fruit, but this bearing of fruit is not going to happen easily. In many cases, and in most cases, the world is going to hate you. Now, that's a pleasant thought for the morning, isn't it? You can all go home now. Have a great day. No, Jesus is is doing this on purpose because he needs to prepare his team. He needs to have them ready for the experiences that they're going to encounter. It would be negligent of Christ to send us out into his mission without telling us the kind of opposition that would happen. You see, the word world here is the typical word he uses often. So God so loved the world that he gave his son And so this word world here is in context to the dynamic, interactive aspect of human beings in their sinfulness, creating a sinful culture. That was crazy. In other words, we make cultural stuff and we use it for evil reasons. Think about it. Is the internet not amazing? Amen or no? Amen. Is it sinful? No, it's not sinful. What we do with it is sinful. You see, the phone is amazing. Is it sinful? No, but it's what we do with it that is sinful. Television, same thing. Music, same thing. Gatherings, same thing. Government, same thing. You see, what's happened is we produce these things that are good and beautiful and right and and in fact neutral and can be used for great good, but we twist it in our sinfulness. And everything humanity touches is twisted with sin. And so the way Jesus is saying it is this, the closer the church walks with him, the more controversial that church will be. You think about it, the closer a church agrees with Jesus, the closer a church walks in the way Jesus walks, they become controversial no matter what culture you live in. And this is why, because no culture is the Christian culture. No culture on this planet lines up exactly with the Bible. Our culture doesn't. Chinese culture doesn't, African culture, or Ugandan, Ugandan culture, you know, no other culture anywhere you can find lines up identically with the teachings of Jesus Christ. In fact, the closer the church walks with Jesus, the more likely that world, that culture, that com- combination of human sinfulness will react against Jesus a either against his love or b against his teaching, we could talk about his just we talk about a lot of things, but what 's interesting is I see the rejection of his love or the rejection of his teaching very clearly saying who rejects jesus 's love? everybody loves that Jesus loved people and he hung out with certain people well the pharisees didn 't in fact, when Jesus healed somebody they didn 't jump up and down and enjoy they said, You did it on the sabbath you can 't do that, or when jesus sat down and hung out with the prostitutes and the drunks and ate with them, they didn't go like, man, how'd you do that? We've been trying to reach those people for years to make them faithful Jewish people. No, they looked at Jesus and said, you must be a drunk yourself. Not everybody likes the way Jesus loves people. Not everybody engages as Jesus engages or or cares about that. In fact, At the James Project, one of those interesting things, when they went out, they they ended up with those six conversations. Stephen and Dennis went out to talk and came up on one door. They knocked on it and and they had a gift basket ready to go and they're just going to hand off the gift basket if they didn't want to talk and that was fine with them. Just want to say we care. This guy opens the door and he's basically like, what do you want? He's like, oh, we have this gift. I don't want anything you have. He's like, oh, okay, what do you want us to do with the gift card? You know, I'm just like, I don't want it. Just leave me alone. He's like, okay, I just want you to know we care. We'll just leave you alone. That's fine. This guy was clear. He did not want anything. He didn't care that we cared. He didn't need our care. He wasn't going to accept anything. I know some people like that in my life. They're going to do it their way. They don't want to be bothered. It's their life. Leave me alone. I don't care that you love me. Why would you love me anyway? Get lost that kind of stuff can erupt into global levels. I'll give you an example right now, I received an interesting letter in the mail about three months ago from, um, we, we sponsor, a, or we did, we sponsored this kid from India in Compassion. And Compassion International writes us a letter, um, by the way, you can no longer sponsor your child. We're like, well, why not? Well, because Compassion International has been kicked out of India completely. You see, in India, there's this very large movement. They don't want any kind of Christian love involved. They don't like that we help the Dalits. We're hindering their karma. This is a Hindu nation, India is saying. And it's Hindu only. And so they've kicked out Compassion International, a group of people that that they seek to feed, house, clothe children, and educate them in the name of Christ. It's the Christians who went into the very, the streets in which you would find all the Dalits. These are the untouchable, the lowest caste in Hindu society. They're considered the worst in karma. Therefore, you do not touch them lest it affects your karma. And you keep them from living out the suffering they deserve and therefore moving up a caste. So don't you dare help these people. They let them die just as, just people dying in the streets all over the place. No food, no help, no, none of that. Hinduism doesn't view that as a good thing. Christians have come in, missionaries have seen this, they've been pouring their care and love on the Dalits for so many years now. People like Mother Teresa and others have poured their love that they're coming to Christ in droves. India doesn't like it, so they're kicking them out. Not everybody loves the love of Christ. I'll just go local real quick. You go to some of our, our, our um, meetings with our various fire police and, uh, and city officials and ask how we're to care for the homeless in our city. And what you will hear is, oh, we want to care for the homeless in the city. That's great. We just don't want to care for them in our city because they understand the better you care for the homeless in your city, the more homeless you get. And so the churches are, are struggling. We're trying to figure out what to do because the city doesn't want them here and we want to love them. And we get why the city's struggling with it, but because their citizens don't want to love them. Christ's love is not always accepted, and it's not always endorsed. As much as we think it is, as much as we want to say it is, it's not. On the flip side, well, I see that Christ's truth oftentimes is the thing in our culture that rubs against it. It's something that is despised and disliked in many cases and has grown over the years. Once Christ's tree, you could say the Bible says it and people would be like, awesome, no problem. Now it's, it's changed even to the point where our, in our political system, it's gotten a little interesting. Some of you may be like, oh, that's ridiculous. We're not that bad off. Except when I, when I see this, and this is not to knock Bernie Sanders in any way. This is simply to illustrate what has gone on. Last. Last week, Bernie Sanders was in a, on a panel along with other senators, and to interview a man named Mr. Voigt. Now, Mr. V- Mr. Vo- Mr. Vought, sorry, was uh, interviewing for the opportunity to be over the management and budget uh, in the in the White House. So this is a, an appointment that they have to check off on. In the midst of this, a quote that Mr. Vaught had made while he was at a Christian university that many of us know called Wheaton College. Wheaton University was a was a place that had a... It's probably one of the most uh, conservative Christian uni- universities and seminaries in America. And so they had a, a sudden eruption of conversation over what a Muslim knew and how much a Muslim knew because one of the teachers had worn a hijab and was trying to claim Muslims were saved too. And so, it was all, and so he stood up for the Wheaton viewpoint in the text, in, in, their, in their theology, which honestly is the theology of our church. He said, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't have him as your sacrifice, you are standing before God condemned of sin and you can't know God. And so he pretty much just wrote that out and said uh, Muslims before God um, wouldn't, know, wouldn't know God because they rejected Jesus Christ and therefore would stand before God condemned. Any Christian who knows theology says, yeah. Any Muslim who knows Christian theology says, duh. Because guess what I understand? Before the Muslim God Allah, I'm doomed because I've sinned what is called the sin of shirk. I have said that God has a son, which is the unpardonable sin in Islam. And I've taught that. Now, not all Muslims know that, but I do know that that's what their theologians teach. So it doesn't shock me if a Muslim tells me I'm going to go to hell according to their faith. As much as it doesn't shock most Muslims if they say you didn't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that means you're, you don't ha- you're going to be condemned but this is the problem. Mr. Sanders is neither Christian nor Muslim. He's he's a secular um, spiritualist, as he has called himself. And so his response was angry. He turned to Mr. Vaught and said, "Do you believe that this statement is Islamophobic?" Mr. Vaught responded, "He did not. That he was a Christian who based his principles on his faith, and that the statement he made was in defense of Wheaton College's statement of faith and the centrality of Jesus Christ." which is what we covered two weeks ago when Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he makes two massively exclusive claims. The only way to get to know the God that exists is to know Jesus. And that's why you go into heaven. It's not because of what you know that you get these theology questions, right? It's who you know, that you know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and so this is in our terms, these are Jesus' terms that are being argued here, and that's what Mr. Vaught said. Now, before Mr. Vaught could finish responding, Mr. Sanders cut him off and asked whether Muslims stand condemned, and Vought tried to answer again, was cut off again, asked if that meant Jewish people were condemned, and Vaught uh, tried to answer again and was again interrupted by Sanders, and I heard him yelling this. I understand you're a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just just." I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? And he said, thank you for the question. And he began to lay out the gospel. At which point he was shut down by Mr. Sanders and said, I'd simply say, Mr. Chairman, that I do not vote for this person. This nominee is really not someone. Who is what this country is supposed to be about? If you've agreed with Mr. Vaught or the eh, 2,000 years of Christian theology, according to Mr. Sanders, this isn't our country anymore. This is the kind of thing that can begin to grow. Now, I'm not, again, here to be angry at, at Mr. Sanders. I think he's a very interesting illustration. Of the reality that people do not like the truths that Jesus teaches. They don't like his view of God. They often don't like his view of sex. They don't like his view of marriage, divorce, child rearing. There are so many aspects that you can find amidst the teachings of Jesus Christ that you will find a detractor, someone angry, someone yelling at somebody, may I say, who hates the thoughts. And yet if you were to ask people, do you like Jesus, they'd be like, Oh, I love Jesus. And yet what they don't understand is they don't love Jesus' teachings, but they want to claim they love Jesus. And so again, the closer we walk with Christ, the more controversial the church becomes, either because of the way that we act, in our love for people in a conservative society that doesn't like that, or in the way that we speak because We speak a truth that Christ said, and they don't like that. And so to follow Jesus is to garner from the world dislike. As God would say, hatred. Now, that's not comfortable. And again, Jesus is making it clear because I don't think anybody in the world right now would say, Oh yeah, I hate God. Even if you don't believe in God this morning, you wouldn't say I'm a hater of God. There's no God to hate, right? Maybe you're sitting here and going, well, I don't believe in your God, but I don't think I hate God. That's okay. Jesus actually put it this way. He says that he came in order to reveal that the world hates God. Verse 22, he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, Hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works, the miracles that, I had, that no one else did, they would not be guilty of this sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. What he's saying is, look, I came and I re-. The Jewish people, they didn't hate God. The Pharisees didn't hate God. But what he had to do is show up and do these miracles and teach these teachings to evoke their heart to reveal it to themselves. And as you enter into the teachings of Christ, you enter into the love of Christ, and you see that he's willing to sit down and eat with homosexuals and hang out with them and make them friends and say, I like these guys, I want to be with them. That may evoke in you anger. That he would sit amongst Muslims and want to be their friends and hang out with them. That may evoke in you anger. That he would sit with the Hindus who are trying to kick him out and make friends with them and say, I like these guys. That may evoke anger. And he at the same time may evoke anger when he says that homosexuality is a sin. And it may evoke anger in you when he says that the Muslim doesn't know God. Or that the Hindu needs Jesus Christ to be forgiven of their sin. And it's going to anger you. The world will reject something about him because he came to evoke it, to reveal it, to show it. Now, that's not fun. Well, that's, that's not enjoyable. We're not, we're not here to do this, but he had to warn us. He had to show us. And how should we respond? Well, Even when we're hated, we should should continue to share Jesus as Jesus would. This is not an opportunity for us to yell and scream on Facebook at people. Don't be sending nasty letters off to Bernie Sanders. How dare you? That's not our job. We're here to love people as Christ loved us. We're supposed to not revile when we are persecuted. Christ stood before his false accusers silent. Willing to take the pain. Willing to take the blame. And we as his church ought to represent Christ in the same way Christ represented himself. When we are persecuted, we bless. When we are reviled, we love. We speak truth with love. We don't back away. We don't get afraid because he sent us on the mission. And his mission is already working amongst us. Check it out how he shifts gears suddenly. He says, okay, the word that i written them." They, they hated me without cause. But, verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This word bear witness means to share. He's going to speak about me. He's going he's to bring out the information about me. And what's crazy is the Spirit of God is already working on your block with your neighbor's He's already working on the streets of Corona, in the Temescal Valley, down in Elsinore. He's at work in the world. In fact, next week we'll examine this a little deeper. But he's out convicting the world of three things. He's convicting them of their sin. He's convicting them that they are distant from God, and he is convicting them that this world is messed up and headed in a bad direction. It's judged. And if the Spirit of God is working one of these ways, guys, we got to get into the streets. we got to connect with our neighbors. we got to get to know these people. The Holy Spirit's already out there working. He's already connecting. And so if He's already out there, we should be in prayer for our neighbors. God, show us what you're doing. Reveal to us how we can love them more. God, open their hearts up even further. We should be caring about our neighbors so we get to know what's going on, so we know better how to pray, what God is doing, where he's leading, how it's working, so in that time to bear witness, to share comes, it occurs because the Holy Spirit uses us to do that because he continued on in the next verse, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The church's job is to bear witness. It is to speak about who Christ is. Now, Peter picks this up much later in one of his books, uh, one of the books that he wrote in 1 Peter. Why don't you turn there with me as we dive into 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to flip over to that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, what you and I get is an encouragement by Peter to be engaged in our society with sharing. And, this, and he gives us a way to do this. He says, Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? In other words, what police officer is going to pull you over if you're driving according to the laws and everything's right? They're not going to. Even though my wife thinks they are, they're not going. My, my wife gets freaked out. She sees a cop. She's like, is "The taillight on. Is, is my, what, what, what am I driving? All of you, sit down. Put your belts on now. You know, kind of freaks you out. She's like, "Got to find something wrong because they're going to pull me over. No, if you're doing everything right, they're not going to pull you over." If you're doing everything right, they're not going to hunt you out. If you're doing good, who's going to get on you for that? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, because it can and will happen, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, put him first, make him the centerpiece of your heart and life and how you act and live. He is where you aim at. Always then be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So Jesus, or so Peter gives us three things to do. He says, number one, live a good life. If you are involved in criminal activity, If you're involved in some kind of vice that the culture looks at and says, what are you doing that for? Maybe it's a good idea that we stop getting drunk or smoking that thing or looking at that stuff or acting in that manner. Let's live good lives so that we don't ruin our witness by our lifestyle. That's Peter's first thing. It's like, don't mess up your words by the way that you live. Live well. Secondly, then, be ready with a defense. I'm going to harp on this for a second. Guys, we need to be ready with answers to the questions people are asking. It's not enough for me to be ready, but you need to be ready. You see, we used to say, oh, just tell them your testimony. But here's the problem. What's happened with the testimony? People go, this is what God did for me, and I am did this, and now I'm saved. And people go now, it used to be like, wow, I can't doubt that. That really happened in your life. That's powerful. Now you know what they say? They go, oh, that's good for you. in a relativistic world, that's your story and only your story. It doesn't spread any further because we need to have answers that point to this as truth. You got to lay out some evidence. You got to point to the fact and the reasons you actually believe this. You can't just accidentally have chosen your faith and gotten it right. I mean, you can, but it doesn't help when your child comes up to you and says, mommy, why do you believe that Jesus Christ lived And you go, well, I just do. What you're telling them is, you don't need an answer either. We can guess and be right. But what happens when the scientist, secularist, comes up and says, here are my reasons for why I believe what I believe? Your child will jump ship like that. Because you know what they see in you? They see that maybe you believe this, but you really don't have a reason to. We don't do anything in our lives without reasons. You have evidence that that chair would hold you when you got in here because you sat in here before. You saw other people sitting in them. We tested them when we bought them. If every other one broke, we wouldn't have bought those chairs. We trust evidence to get on a plane. We see them fly over our heads. It took years for people to go, those things aren't going to crash. Until everybody decided to jump on, we live our lives by evidence. How can we not live our faith by evidence? Well, faith and evidence are no, no. You trust things because you have evidence to trust them. And if our if we have children or friends that come up to us and say, "Why do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead?" We better have a reason and evidence that we've done so. That means you got to be a good student. Not just like, well, I don't know, ask my pastor because he knows. See, he's got answers. Well, he may know that I believe, but does he know that you really do it? Why do you trust it? And ask why I trust. And we we need to be able to deliver these right answers. If we're going to see this world move, if we're going to see our neighbors see that we really believe this, say, well, I don't have time to study all that stuff. We had time to study all the things we did for our jobs to get a paycheck. Guys, this is an opportunity to bring somebody into eternity, which is a greater thing. And it ought to be something that we're ready with defense and ready with the truth on. So you should be able to answer, why did you, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? What's the evidence that you have? How do you know that Jesus lived? What's the evidence that you have? How do you know the Bible is something you can trust? What's your evidence for that? How do you know Moses really brought some people through this great big sea? How do you know that really happened? What's your evidence that you can trust? How do you know God exists? What's the evidence for that that exists out there? So you can trust. A lot of this stuff has trickled all throughout the sermons throughout the years. Or maybe you just need to go back, jump into starting point and start building some evidences. But I'll just give you a simple place to start. It's, it's a place called str.org. Write that down. If you're somebody who's like, I don't know how to answer half of the things you just said. str.org is yours. It's, a, it's, a, play, it's a, a website made by a man named Greg Kokel who's going to be here at our church in about, oh my goodness, about four or five months on a Saturday night. Three months. And so it's an awesome opportunity for you to get to know this guy before he's here. His website is dedicated to answering difficult questions in a kind and compassionate manner. And he does an excellent job. And if you hate reading, awesome. It's mostly audio and some video. You can check out this stuff. It's great that you should be answering these questions, examining these things to be able to give them to your children, know them for yourself. It transforms what you believe because you suddenly realize, I believe something that's true, not something I hoped was. When we have that reality, it shifts, but that's what he's saying. You need to be ready with your defense and do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with thoughtfulness. Do it where you can deliver something that's difficult with kindness. Give you a simple answer or simple example of how that worked in my life. I'd gotten an opportunity to go to Berlin to be a part of a mission trip. And actually, uh, Nick, who is one of our missionaries, was with me at the time. And we uh, had another buddy who we walked around and we met um, two Muslim guys. that was our goal in Berlin at the tour of the mosque. And so Andy and Khalid, we kind of hung out with them. And we got together one day, met up, and they took us on a hike throughout the backwoods in Berlin. And so gathering together, we were enjoying talking, and they were helping us avoid the wrong holes to go to where people didn't dress when they swam. And so it had a lot of uh, cool conversations over theology and all kinds of stuff. By the end of this very long day, well, just after we'd stood on the rubble of what remained of the original city of Berlin after World War II, we walked down it into the bus station or into the train station. And as they were about to head one way, we were going to head the other. Um, I turned over to, and, or to Andy and I just said, hey, man, so we've been having all this conversation. Like, where do you feel like uh, we would stand when it comes to your faith? And he says, oh, you know, from all the things that I hear, you're good people. I don't think Allah would, would destroy you. He'd probably let you in. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, but where do we stand with you guys? Well, now the pressure's on, right? I'm going to Muslim heaven according to this guy. What am I going to say? And this wave of compassion came over me and I looked at it and I said, I have to tell you the truth. If you don't have a sacrifice to bear your sin away from you, you cannot have access to God and you will be condemned. And I was nearly crying by the time I was done saying what sounds like extremely difficult words. He looked in my eyes and he said, thank you for being honest. I meet all your missionaries and they won't say that. Guys, respect because they're made in the image of God. We love them. But truth is to respect them as well. We don't shade and hide things. We don't need to. Yes, we have to learn to defend difficult doctrines that Jesus gives us. But they're his doctrines to defend and he's given us plenty of information. We need to deliver them with gentleness and respect. And so that's why he's telling us this. He warned us. So we don't, we don't allow this persecution to stop us from living for Christ. He continues on in John with his point. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. His whole point was he didn't want us to be shocked and blown away and leave the faith. And then he goes on. He says, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may may remember what I told, that I told them to you. He's saying, look, you're going to be kicked out. They're going to kill you. Oh, that's a wonderful thing to be told by your leader who has predicted the future before in your presence. And yet Jesus is very clear. You need to hear this because I don't want you guys to walk away. Too many people I have met have abandoned the basic fundamentals of the faith because they can't explain an answer or they don't, they're not winning the popularity contest in the culture. Whether it came to marriage or whether it came to the fact that we believe that sex belongs within the confines of marriage alone, everything out of that is sin. Man, I, got, I meet people weekly who are like, I don't know. I'm out. Or, I don't know, I'm going to change my. They compromise their theology. I have yet to have met someone who stuck to the word, though. Eventually, they say things like, Well, I'm a red letter Christian. I only read the red letters of the Bible. I've met people who say, Well, that's the Old Testament. I go, Are you kidding me? That's Jesus' Bible. That's what he read. You're going to kick out Jesus' Bible? Because we don't want to lose the popularity contest with the culture. Guys, we already will. It's been told to you by your Lord. He wants you to hear it, not so you'll compromise, but so that you'll trust him. Go to his word, find out where he's told you the truth, know how to argue the truth from the scripture and from reality and bring that information together so you can stand firm as you represent Christ with love and respect, not anger and vitriol. No, we stand firm with love and respect. Guys, we have to know the word of God. You are people of the book. This is our Scripture is what he teaches us, and that persecution is going to come. It's going to grow. It's going to be on us. It already is. It starts with, it starts with the pushback by a culture. Then it shifts into a very clear rejection by the culture until it becomes physical. Notice how he started. They're going to they're gonna disagree with you. Then they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. That's the place of central culture for their society. The synagogue was the central location for their life and culture as Jewish people other than the temple. They're going to kick you out of the community center. And then they're going to kill you. We've already crossed the pushback line. You see, you've all been marginalized. and We don't even realize it. Try going to work this week at your at your business planning meeting, and say something like, "Well, you know, the Proverbs advise us that we should do this." I bet they'll tell you, "You know, you need to keep your religion at home. This is a religious free zone." You know what that's called? Marginalization. They're telling you you're, they're telling you that your faith has to be personal. Guess what the Bible's telling you? Your faith touches everything. They're wrong. Your faith isn't personal. It's not just yours. and stays at home or stays at church. No, the Bible teaches you your faith goes into every nook and cranny of every aspect of civilization. And praise God it did because it fought off all kinds of evils in this world. And they want to tell you keep it at home? No. Now you can be wise. You don't have to say the proverbs. You can say, hey, there's some wisdom that I picked up. And it says this. And they'll be like, ooh, that's great. Because you don't tell them it's the Bible. They don't know the Bible. You can smuggle the Bible in all day long if you want to. But for us, the Bibles our centerpiece. You'll watch. They'll marginalize you. They, you are not allowed, allowed. There's a couple right now that, um, you know, we know of one lady who lost her right to own her own bakery and run it the way she wanted. We know there's a person in Vermont right now who's lost his right for, um, to sell blueberries in a city at a farmer's market because he wouldn't open his property up for certain kinds of weddings, even though he doesn't live in that city. There are these kind of things that are coming down all over the place around us. Yes, marginalization has occurred, rejection is already beginning. Eventually outlaw is where it goes to. May not happen in the United States, may take decades, but it's on the journey. But our brothers and sisters around the world are facing this kind of harassment every day. According to Via Voice of the Martyrs, Christian Solidarity and Open Doors, three different organizations that monitor Christian persecution 2017 or 2016 was the worst year of persecution ever in the history of Christianity. And that only beat 2015, which was the worst year, which was beating 14 and beat 13 and beat 12. I think it's been the last seven years have been the worst seven years for Christian martyrdom in the history of the church. The population begins to show you, as Pew Research did, 145 countries that 75 percent of the known countries harass their Christians. Six hundred million Christians are not allowed to celebrate on their God on Sunday, on this planet. They're not just receiving pushback; they're receiving legal restriction. Let alone that ISIS has now bombed four times in the last few months. Coptic Christians in Egypt in order to bring them and get them out of Egypt. The persecution in the Middle East has been so severe, they're asking where are all the Christians going? It's become the evaporation of the Middle East. 4.5 million Christians lived in Iraq at the end of the Iraqi war. After the persecutions, it is down to 300,000 known Christians. 2.5 million lived in Syria before the revolution. It has been cut in half. Let alone, we're not, now we're not even talking about the Chinese crackdown that just has begun to ramp up in the last few months over kicking out anything Western, what India is doing with Hinduism, let alone Pakistan and the rest of that group, and, and Russia's very clear denial of evangelical Christianity. Along with the secular movements in the, in the West, Boko Haram in North Africa, the genocide of Christians in South Sudan... It goes on and on and on and on. Our brothers and sisters are dying for the very faith that you and I get to celebrate every single day of our lives. Does this mean we should stand up and yell and scream and be angry? No, I think we need to pray like crazy and engage those ministries that are helping. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters to hold firm. We need to be praying that the gospel erupts because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because in these very locations is also an explosion of the faith. Africa is rampantly growing in their Christian faith. Muslims are coming in droves to Christianity. You see it exploding in Russia and in China. You can't stop the gospel. And as the pressure builds, this is why I'm telling you, this is not a message to make you fear. This is a message to make you strong. The Holy Spirit is already dwelling in you, already doing the work, already calling you forward. Don't be a jerk. Don't be mean. Stop using Facebook and Instagram as your personal rant session. No, it is time to love, to share, and to press the message of grace into a culture that needs it desperately. We're going to start on our blocks. We're going to start with our loved ones. Though they reject us or revile us, let's bless. And let's share like Christ would share. So let's pray. Lord God, we need your strength. And we thank you that you've already given it to us. Thank you that your presence is with us to to take that message to our streets, to take our message to our workplace, to our families, to the ends of the earth. You've given us your presence for that. You've given your presence to our beloved brothers and sisters in other nations. Give them strength, God. Let them stand firm, even though they see the persecutions that we find as nightmares. Even though they live amidst a world that truly hates them. God, may we lift them up before you. And as our world around us, our culture begins to build its pressure, God, may we be faithful not to abandon and and, and lose traction with you, but to press even closer and closer to you and that your character, love, and truth would flow through us in a manner that was gracious and respectful and thoughtful. And God, for any that you're working on today, would you open their hearts? that we might see them know you. Because you said their hour is coming, God, we don't want them to be judged. We long for them to be freed as Paul was freed and therefore to be used by you in a great way. We pray that you would use us in that manner. In Jesus' name, amen.